so important to us here. So if you're not in a group, would love to get you in one. We're really gonna try to ramp up our group's ministry this year in some big ways. We're still interviewing groups, pastor candidates, and we've got some great ones in the pipeline right now that we're looking at very closely. And we are hoping to launch new groups this year as well as train new group leaders. So please get connected to our group's ministry through efree.org slash groups. It is so valuable. My wife and I are in a small group together. We're also part of a Sunday morning community. And those Sunday morning communities, some of them are meeting online right now. Some of them are kind of doing their own thing at different places. Some of them are on pause at the moment. But a lot of our small groups are still going strong, many of them. And we've launched new ones in the last year as well and more to come. So would love to see you be a part of a group and be a part of a community here. It's what makes the big church feel small. So whether you are in here in the room right now or watched online at home, please get connected to our group's ministry. We're studying the parables of Jesus uh, in, the, in this series that we're in right now, and so we're going to be doing that again today. And it is great to see all of you this morning. It's a little bit weird, though, because for you know, most of you, all I'm seeing is like here on up. I just see this little, little window, little sliver that's there of the eyes, and I can't really get a feel for the, the reaction or how you're feeling today. Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you discouraged? Are, are you tired? You know, well, that's the one that maybe I can see as the eyes sort of droop over, over time. But it's weird. Somebody was telling me last week how strange it is to be up here on stage and looking out at all of you and just seeing the eyes, and it's just sort of like you can't really get a sense for what's going on. And we don't, we don't like this. We don't like the mask thing. Of course, for those of you that are watching at home, we, we have no idea what you look like right now. Maybe we don't want to see what you look like right now, which is why you're watching from home. And that's okay. We understand. But the, the fact of the matter is sometimes it's hard for us to tell what's really going on under the mask, isn't it? And that can be a challenge for us. That's true in other ways too. Sometimes we just don't see things the way they really are. We can look at a person and think we know what's going on, but we don't really see the full picture. We don't see the full story or have the background. Now, I want to give you a test this morning. This is kind of a fun test to see how good you are at seeing things for what they really are, okay? So I'm going to put something up on the screen here, and we want to see how well you do. The first one is to see how many background colors are there there. Look at those four squares. How many colors do you see? And when we take the strips away, you see that the top right block and the bottom left block are the exact same color. Put the strips back and we will see, don't they kind of look different to you? Isn't that a little bit trippy? Let me show you another one. These squares, the A square and the B square, which one's darker? Now, if we connect those squares together, what you will see that they're the exact same shade. Could you tell that? Doesn't it look like the A square is darker? The vertical lines, the teal lines, are they straight or are they a little curved? By now, you know I'm trying to trick you. So even if they look curved, you're going to say they're straight, right? But you put the angled lines back in there, and doesn't it kind of look like they're curved a little bit? Which pink dot is bigger, the one on the top or the one on the bottom? They're the exact same size. I appreciate you, some of you playing along and saying what you actually thought you saw even though you know these are all tricks. Are the straight lines crooked or straight and parallel? The, the long ones, are they straight or are they crooked? Yeah, they are straight and parallel. But when you add those little dashes in there, doesn't it look like they're crooked? See that? Your eyes are playing tricks with you. Do the sides of the arch match up or do they not match up? If you take away that middle line, they match up perfectly. But even when you put it back, doesn't it still make you think that, ah, how can they, 
Ah, it doesn't look like they'll match. Do you see a duck or a bunny? How about now? Which picture has the road on more of an angle? More of an angle than the other one. They're both the same. But if we separate them again, doesn't it look like the one on the right has like a harsher angle to it? Do these boxes have curvy or straight lines? Or swervy? If you take away the dots, you can see they have perfectly straight lines. But watch what happens when we just add the dots back in. We're not changing the lines at all. We add the dots back in. And doesn't that look like it's kind of curvy to you? We got one more for you. Look around the screen. Look up, look down, look right, look left. Does it kind of look like there's movement going on there between the background and the ball? But if we isolate any of these, if we just show you the ball, it's not moving. And if we flip that and just show you the background, it's not moving. But you put them both together and look around the screen. Isn't that kind of trippy? Doesn't it look like there's motion going on there? Now, why did I show you all these optical illusions? Well, it could just be that I really love optical illusions. And that's honestly 90% of it. I love optical illusions. And recently, my son got into optical illusions. It was a focus that they did at school. And, and that's really fun and really cool. But mostly, I want us to recognize the fact that we can have a hard time really seeing what's really going on. We can look at something and think we interpret it correctly until someone reveals something or takes a part of it away or adds something to it that shows us, oh, what we thought we saw is completely different than what is really there. Same thing is true in life. We can look at a situation or an individual or a person, and, and we can think we know what's there and think we understand what's going on when we really don't. Because looks can be deceiving, and things aren't always what they seem. We see things from one perspective, and sometimes, oftentimes, God sees things from a completely different perspective, and it's totally different than what we thought we saw. So what I hope you'll get from today's message is a little better at understanding things from God's perspective. What does he see that we don't see? Looking through his lens as much as we possibly can, how can we see situations and, and people for what they really are? rather than just what we perceive. If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to Luke chapter seven. That's where we're gonna be today. We're gonna look at a parable, of course, because this is the parables series. Now, sometimes parables are just given to us as just the parable and there's nothing else to go with it. Sometimes one of the gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, those are the writers that gave us the, gospel, the parables. John didn't include any, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they'll just say, here's a parable of Jesus and they'll give the parable. And, and sometimes they'll then say, and here's another parable Jesus taught, and they'll just give you the parable. But sometimes these parables are included as part of a bigger story. And that's the one we're going to look at today. And I want to give you some context just to help you understand the story that we are about to read, which includes the parable that we're going to look at today. Jesus was teaching in the Galilee region of northern Israel. So this is a picture of what the Galilee region looks like today. He was traveling all over the place and many people were believing his message and trusting in what he had to share with them. In fact, sometimes he even just sent out his disciples into different areas to teach people. And so people didn't even necessarily hear from Jesus himself, but they heard from a disciple and they would believe in Jesus' message that way. And lots of people were following Jesus at this time. He was a very uh, popular kind of rural Galilean teacher that was making his way around. But there was a group of people that pretty much universally rejected Jesus' teaching. 
and those were the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not like Jesus, and they rejected him. In fact, Luke tells us that in Luke chapter 7, that the Pharisees had rejected Jesus already at this point. However, one of them in Galilee decided to invite Jesus over for dinner. Now, why did he do that? Was it because he wanted to get to know Jesus better and maybe was curious about his teaching and might want to be one of his followers? Probably not, because he was one of the Pharisees that was part of this group earlier in the chapter that Luke says they rejected Jesus. So most likely what he was trying to do was to see if he could find more about Jesus, learn enough about him to use something against him, to turn his own words against him in some way, which the Pharisees did with Jesus all the time. And we learn later on in this story that this particular Pharisee wasn't even that hospitable to Jesus when he came into his home. But he did invite him over for dinner, and that's the setting for the parable we're going to look at. So if you've got your Bible open to Luke chapter 7, we're going to read starting in verse 36 and walk through this story together. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 500 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling both their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man who goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pause right there and pray and ask God to give, him, give us wisdom as we study his word today. Jesus, thank you for this incredible story about, about this woman and this Pharisee and you and, and this amazing thing that happened 2,000 years ago and the fact that it's recorded for us to learn from today, Lord, it's incredible. And there are some great truths in here. My prayer is that we'd be receptive to it. God, that you would help us to, to put aside the distractions of the week, the things that keep us from focusing our attention on you and just to zero in on you and what you and your Holy Spirit want to communicate to us today so that we can live out your truth this week. 
so that we can walk in your way, Jesus, just as you taught 2,000 years ago and continue to teach today. Lord, open your word to us and open our minds to it so that we can understand what you are saying. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want us to think about this story from the perspective of the woman. What's going on in her mind? What is she thinking? What brought her to this point? We don't even know her name, but we do know some things about her. We know that she was considered an immoral woman, but we don't know why exactly. The text does not tell us what it was. Was she a prostitute? Uh, Was she promiscuous like the Samaritan woman at the well? Did she sleep around and maybe had a reputation for this and that's why she was considered an immoral woman? We, We don't know. Given the fact that she had such a reputation, it's very likely that she had some kind of a difficult upbringing. Maybe she had a mother that didn't love her like she should have. Maybe she had a father who was absent or perhaps even abusive. We know she made some poor decisions that gave her this reputation. The religious people did not want to associate with her. They certainly wouldn't want her in their house. And she knew about Jesus. After all, word had spread about him all throughout Galilee. She heard about him, maybe from someone who shared the message about that time when he raised a young boy back to life who was dead. He was in a coffin. He was headed to his burial site. And Jesus saw the commotion. He came over and he raised this boy to life. Maybe she heard about all those times that he had seen blind people and made them able to see again. Or lame people made them able to walk again. And he healed with these incredible miracles. Maybe she heard about that but she also must have heard about his teaching, either from someone who passed it on to her or maybe from Jesus himself. In fact, maybe she heard him from a distance one time and heard his teaching and understood it. The one thing we know for certain is that she believed. She believed what he said was true. And confronted with the the truth of his teaching, she realized how awful she was, how sinful she was, how her poor choices had led to this life that she was in and that broke her. It broke her and she realized how rotten her heart was that there was something special about this man. He was no ordinary man. She probably didn't have all the theology figured out. She probably did not have a deep grasp of the Trinitarian God or a great knowledge of the second coming, but she knew that this man was from God. In fact, maybe, maybe she actually wondered or had a sense that this man was God walking among us. Could he possibly take away the filth that was inside her? Could she become his follower like these others and leave this life of sin? And she believed. She believed in Jesus. She believed what he was saying and what he was offering and that somehow he was the way to free her from sin. And it was like a weight was just lifted off of her. A burden was gone from her and she felt this incredible sense of relief because she trusted in him. And then she heard a rumor, a rumor that Jesus was passing through her town. And not only was Jesus passing through her town, he would actually be having dinner that night at someone's house in her town. Now, it probably was a different part of town than she was usually going into, most likely. But she found out whose house it was. Where is this dinner taking place? It's at Simon's house. Wait, you mean Simon the Pharisee? Yes, Simon the Pharisee. Simon the guy who probably crosses the street when he sees her walking by. Simon who does not want anything to do with her. That's the Simon, but she doesn't care. 
She knows who he is. She knows where his house is. And she decides she's gonna go there because she just has to see Jesus. She has to see the one whose teaching has freed her from this burden that she's been carrying around. So she goes into her house and she finds the most expensive thing she has. It's a, a jar of perfume, an alabaster jar of perfume. Something that maybe took her months to save up for, or maybe it was a gift from someone, who knows? But it, we do know Jesus says it's incredibly rare perfume that she had. So this is expensive in a very special jar. And when she walked into the house, being this close to Jesus, walked into Simon's house with this little jar, probably her intention was to pour this on Jesus' head. That would have been the normal thing to do. But when she walked into the house, she was so overcome with emotion and, and just the hope, it just welled up within her. And she dropped to her knees because of how much she had been forgiven. And she started to cry. And as she cried, her tears, as she was kneeling down, fell on Jesus' feet. This was not supposed to happen. This was not part of the plan. Her tears are falling on his feet and she's like, oh no, what do I do? So what can I do? She, she grabs her hair, she takes her hair, she starts wiping off his feet, wiping the tears that she has, has poured down on him with her hair. And then, the perfume that was probably meant for his head. She's, she's down there. This is an awkward moment. Does she, does she get up now and pour it on his head after she's been down here touching his dirty feet with her hands in her hair? No, she can't do that. And so she just takes the perfume and pours it on his feet. She washes his feet with her tears. She wipes it with her hair. She pours perfume onto his feet. And can you just feel the tension in that room? Can you feel how awkward that must have been for her. Look around the room, put yourself in her position, kneeling down by Jesus' feet, and all these men are gathered around. And Simon the Pharisee is there, and she knows who he is, and these men all know who she is. And can you imagine the shame and the judgment and the condemnation that must have been going through their minds? And how was Simon going to handle this? And what was Jesus thinking right now? Maybe she was embarrassed. Maybe she realized how awkward this was. Maybe it was just one of those horrible moments that's like, this is not the way this was supposed to work. This is not what I saw pictured in my mind. Now stop for a moment and think about this from Simon's perspective. That's a big shift. Simon the Pharisee, who was hosting the meal with a special guest, this teacher that everyone has heard about, everyone knows about, who's kind of a threat, actually. And he's in Simon's home, and Simon is hosting here. And here comes in this woman. He knows who it is. He knows what's up with her. He does not want her in his house. But she walks over to Jesus, and he's wondering, what is she going to do? Clearly, she wasn't invited here. Clearly, she's distraught and emotional. What does Simon do? Does he ask her what is wrong? Does he offer to help her in any way? Does he get her a towel to help clean up? Does he offer her a seat or something to eat? Does he show her any kind of empathy at all in this moment? No. See, in his mind, all that is going through there is that this proves Jesus is a fraud. Did you see that? Simon saw this moment, and instead of immediately thinking, how can I help this poor woman? He's thinking, I got him. Jesus is a fraud. 
Why is that? Because he says to himself in verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. If he had any kind of spiritual insight or wisdom at all, he would know that she is a sinful woman. She is a public sinner. She is known for some kind of behavior that is inappropriate and not acceptable. In fact, I don't even want her in my house. I don't want to go anywhere near her. And if this man really was of God and and was a prophet and could know these things, then absolutely, certainly he would say, what are you doing, woman? Get away from me. You are unclean. You are impure. And he would rebuke her and send her away. And Simon thinks there's no way that this guy could be a good man from God and allow her to be there doing this. And in one stream of thought, Simon writes off both this woman and Jesus himself. But Jesus is about to blow his mind. Jesus answered his thoughts in verse 40. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, that's where we learn this man's name. I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And probably with a little bit of snark, right? I mean, Simon thinks he's got him here. In Simon's world of religious leaders, you don't associate with people like this if they're a public sinner. So Simon has already made his mind up about Jesus. But Jesus tells him a parable. Here's the parable. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? That's it. That's the whole parable. And Simon's answer is, I suppose, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. I almost get the sense that Simon didn't really want to answer here. Well, if I have to answer, the one whom he canceled the larger debt. Where are you going with this, Jesus? And Jesus says, that's right. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. I just love this. He turns to the woman, but he says to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. This is shocking stuff right here. Jesus is comparing this immoral woman with this publicly viewed as righteous Pharisee. He's comparing this woman who has a horrible reputation with this man who's supposed to be a spiritual leader people are supposed to follow. This is a big deal to make this comparison, juxtaposing these two individuals. And guess what? The woman is winning in every metric. As Jesus compares these two, he's saying, she's doing better than you are, Simon. Here are the things she did and you haven't done any of these. Now it's important to understand because sometimes too much is made of this story. It's not like it was a huge insult for Simon to not do these things. Yes, it was uh, customary at times to wash people's feet and to anoint their head with oil at times and do these things. But it wasn't like it was an expected thing that he had to do but it was definitely something you did for anyone that you respected or honored or revered. And what Jesus is doing is pointing out that by Simon not doing any of these things, it reveals the fact that he doesn't think anything special of Jesus. He doesn't think there's anything special going on there at all. He gave him no special treatment at all. He gave him nothing to show that he valued him or or cared about his message or his teaching or anything like that. If Simon saw Jesus as an honored guest, 
he certainly would have made sure that his feet could be washed. After all, they're walking around all day in sandals. They didn't have like closed toe shoes. And so their feet are getting incredibly dirty. And when you walk into someone's house for a nice dinner, it was customary. It was a, just a classy move to provide an opportunity to wash their feet, either have someone wash their feet or just give them water so they could wash their feet. And again, it wasn't a huge insult to not do this, but it definitely showed a lack of intentionality, a lack of care, a lack of hospitality. A warm and friendly greeting back then was a kiss on the cheek, and some cultures still do that today. And and Simon's greeting was not especially warm. There was no kiss on the cheek when Jesus walked in to say, ah, welcome, I'm so glad you're here, you know. It was none of that. If you really wanted to honor someone, you might anoint their head with olive oil. And olive oil was a commonly used medicinal oil in those days. And and to some extent, it still is today. If you pour olive oil on the hair, on the scalp, it can be good for the hair. It can be good for the scalp. And back then, you know, it's dry, dusty climate. You don't have the same kind of treatments that we have today. And so olive oil was a commonly uh, medicinally used thing to put on the head. In fact, I just read an article this morning. Did you, did you hear about the, the woman that sprayed Gorilla Glue in her hair? You know what I'm talking about? The treatment to get the glue out of her hair was an adhesive remover in olive oil and some aloe vera. So they still used olive oil to help someone with a problem today. If you really wanted to honor someone and show respect to them, you might offer to give them some oil for their hair. You might try that the next time you have people over to dinner. See how it goes. But it was customary back then for someone that you honored and you wanted to show appreciation for. Simon didn't want to show any appreciation for Jesus. He did nothing to show honor to Jesus. And yet this woman did. It's not that Simon had to do these things, but it would certainly show that he cared about Jesus and his teaching. But Jesus knew what was up with Simon. Jesus knew because he could read his thoughts. Jesus knew that Simon didn't believe in him and that he was actually trying to catch him and that he thought he was a fraud. So he contrasts Simon's lack of action with this woman's action and show of respect, washing his feet with her tears, wiping them off with her hair, anointing his feet with perfume. Not to mention, think about the courage that it took for her to walk across across town and walk into this guy's house. That was a big deal. But then Jesus says something absolutely crazy, absolutely shocking. In verse 47, he says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. See, what's happening here is that her actions are not in pursuit of forgiveness. They're a result of forgiveness. That's very, very important. She has done this, Jesus says, because she's been forgiven. Because she's been forgiven, she has shown me this much love. It was a response to the forgiveness she experienced by believing in Jesus and his teaching. She wasn't seeking forgiveness. She was expressing her gratitude for what he had done for her. There was something different about her, a weight that was lifted off of her when she believed in Jesus and his teaching. All of a sudden, it was like, wow, I can see now clearly, and I understand what's going on, and I understand what my life was like before, and that my life can be different now. And in some way, she was a transformed person, and so she came to Jesus to show just how thankful and appreciative she was. It was a response to that forgiveness that she had experienced, because she knew how bad her life was before, and because of how bad that was. She was so much more thankful now. Like the person who had been forgiven 500 pieces of silver debt versus the person who had only been forgiven 50 pieces of silver debt. Jesus' point is she's been forgiven of a lot, but she has been forgiven. All that is wiped away. 
and she knows that now and she has a new life now. And just to be very clear about this, Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. So he tells Simon her sins are forgiven. Then he says, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Like, what is he thinking? How can he think he can do this? Only God can do this. And Jesus has been doing this. That's why they say he goes around forgiving sins. They've heard of this before. They've heard that he's been doing stuff like this and they don't like it. In fact, a few chapters earlier in in Luke chapter two, there's these four guys that bring a friend of theirs who's a paralytic to Jesus and they lower him through a roof. They make a hole and lower him through a roof because the crowd is gathered around the house so they can't even get to Jesus. So the only way they can do it is to get up on top and, and drop him right in front of Jesus. And Jesus heals the man, but he also says, I see your faith and because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. And at that time, when that happens, the religious leaders did not like it very much. And here's what they said in verse seven of Luke two. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Simon has to be thinking the same thing right now. How can Jesus say this to this woman that her sins are forgiven? But Jesus says one thing more. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Must have been such a, beautiful thing to hear. But let's just be clear about what Jesus is saying here. Your faith has saved you. It's not because you washed his feet with your tears. It's not because you anointed them with perfume. It's not because you walked all the way over here. It's not because of the courage that it took. In fact, it's not because of anything that you did. It's not because of your works or your actions. It's because you believed It's your faith that has saved you. It's your faith that makes it possible for sins to be forgiven, not your actions. It wasn't her works that saved her, but it was her works that showed how genuine her faith was. She believed and she felt the forgiveness and she had incredible gratitude toward Jesus because of it. Now, there are a couple of key takeaways for us from this story. For some of us, we are like the woman who's been living in sin and needs to turn to Jesus. And we need to admit that the old way of doing things is wrong. We may have never done that before, but we recognize maybe today for the first time or this week or the last couple of months or the last year, we've been thinking about it and going, man, there's something wrong with my life. There's something that's missing in my life. And I keep messing up and doing the wrong things. It just seems like I can never get over that. And if you've never turned to Jesus and trusted him and said, I want to follow him with my life fully and him alone, not in anything I can do, but I'm just gonna believe in him and ask him to change my life, then he's gonna do that for you. And like this woman, you can feel that weight just lifted off of you, that burden gone if you give your life to Jesus. It doesn't mean everything suddenly becomes amazing and you have a perfect life. That's not at all what Jesus promises, but he promises to always be there, to walk through life with whatever happens and for you to have a home with him in eternity. That is the promise of Jesus Christ and believing in Jesus Christ. And after this service today, there'll be people up front, part of our prayer team. And if you are here in this building right now and and you have questions about that and you wanna know what it means to follow Jesus more fully, you wanna know what it means to trust in him and you have questions about that, they will answer those for you. They will help you and walk through that with you. And we wanna pray with you, whatever it is that you need help with, but especially if you wanna know how to have a relationship with Jesus today. And if you're online right now and and you're not able to be here in person, you can go to efree.org slash connect. And we would love for you to let us know if this is something you are wrestling through and we can help answer questions and show you what it means to trust in Jesus and walk with him. But there's another takeaway for us here too. 
Because while some of us may be like the woman, I wonder if many more of us are often like Simon. That's certainly a a challenge for me. I was struck by something I read in a commentary this week. It said, do we see sinners for who they have been or for what God can make of them? Just let that sit for a minute. Do we look at sinners and see them for who they have been or what God can make of them? So often I am more like Simon, looking at others with a judgmental and critical spirit. Uh, We look at the the faults and the flaws and maybe it's 90% good and 10% bad, but we focus on the 10% bad and overshadows the good. And we see that person, we define them by the negative things or, or the bad things we think they've done or the things we've observed or the things we've heard. Maybe we didn't even see it. And we, we judge and we're critical of that person instead of seeing them for how God sees them. Instead of seeing what God could do through them. It's like looking at an optical illusion and we think we see one thing, but through God's eyes, he sees something totally different, something incredible that he can do through that transformed life. See, we all think we see people clearly. But the truth is, what we see is like a door has been cracked open and we see a little sliver of their life and we think we can judge the whole person by that. And what we need to do is take a step back and ask the question, how does God see this person? In fact, if there's someone that you've been struggling with seeing clearly, someone you've had bitterness towards, someone that you have written off, avoided, ignored, whatever it is, judged, Maybe today is a day to take a step back and ask God and just pray to him and say, God, how do you see this person? What can you do through them? Maybe I've written them off, but what if God hasn't? And he sees them in a completely different way than we do. Now, I want to be clear and share a balancing principle here because there are also healthy boundaries to have. And there are times where there are people who are connected to us that are dragging us down or encouraging us to sin, causing us to move in a direction that we shouldn't, that God wouldn't want us to do. And yes, sometimes we have to cut off those relationships. There are healthy boundaries. There are necessary endings. But I think so often there are times when we write off other people or we ignore them or we avoid them or we just judge them in our minds. We think critically about them or we talk negatively about them to other people. And the reality is that God sees that person in a completely different way than we do. And it's so hard for us to take a step back and go, that person that I am judging, God loves. They're a a child of his or maybe a future child of his. There's someone that God wants to do great things with. How would I treat them differently if I had that perspective? How would I treat people differently if I looked at them and saw what God could do through them and didn't just see the things of their past? That is what we need to learn to do if we are going to walk like Jesus. It'll change the way we treat people. It'll change the way we think about them. It'll change the way we talk to them and about them. And we'll be following Jesus. I wonder if you would bow your heads with me and just spend a moment in prayer. Lord Jesus, is is there anyone that we've been judging that we have no right to judge? You are the judge. Lord, I confess to being critical, to being negative, to sometimes seeing people as the sum total of their past and not through the eyes of the future and what you could do through them. 
And this is a time where, where we as a church, whether we're in this building or online, wherever we're watching from, want you to search our hearts, God, and reveal if there's, if there's any evil way in us that's been more like Simon, that's been critical and that's been negative and that hasn't seen people the way you see them, Lord. Help us to have the love for people that you have for them. Help us to see what you can do to them when you transform them. And let me take it a step further, God, and ask that you would make us your hands and feet in helping that to be a reality. That we would not just transform our thinking about these people to be more like you, but that, that we would actually become your instruments to help cause that change in their life if it's needed. Help us to not be like Simon. When it comes to honoring and appreciating you, help us to be like the woman. And help us to see people through your eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name.